Hi, my name is Victor, and welcome to the Spring Break edition of the USC Christian Challenge podcast. Have you ever fallen victim to seemingly urgent tasks that are just completely taking over your life and your schedule? These tasks are usually unimportant and distract you from truly important things in life. And it can range from anything from responding to that one text message to just doom scrolling on Instagram because you've got a notification. Well, in this message, Chuck takes us through how we can conquer what he calls the tyranny of the urgent to reclaim our lives for Christ. Yeah, I was outside talking with Neil, trying to straighten him out. Uh, and I didn't know I was on. Sorry about that. Who, who's this thing for? Come on. I get I can't get that up. Just sit down. Yeah, just sit down. That's a good when all this failed, sit down. Holy cow. It came up. How's this? I'll be here. I can just hold it for you. <laughs> okay, okay. Thank you. Where are my glasses? Are my glasses back on the back row? Okay. I need to see what I'm saying. Thank you. Uh, this is going to be a PowerPoint today that I put together a couple of years ago. And I, in fact, the last time I was here at uh, Break of the Lake, I had the power, we were going to use that PowerPoint, and it really uh, uh, kind of got messed up in the transition with the, the tech team and their computers and my laptop, and it didn't work. So I told them that I brought it this time, I brought my laptop, and told them that if it didn't work, we would have a firing squad on the drill team, on the drill field at 2 o'clock. So they promised me it would work, so we'll see. Uh, let me review a little bit uh, about our, our first session. We talked about, uh, I talked about the things that had made major impacts in my life from which I never recovered. It changed me permanently. We talked about that, and one was, the, the first thing was my conversion. When I came to Christ out of a real non-church, non-religious background, uh, I drew the bridge illustration with some verses that, that illustrate that. <clears throat> uh, I thought to myself, and I've seen this before, the reason I bring it up is because sometimes you're not sure. Have I really, have I ever surrendered my life to Christ, asked Him to be the Lord of my life, to come in, kind of take over the mess that I've created and, uh, and make me His own? Have I done that? And so there's always, a, I, I meet people all the time that say, I don't know if I've done that or not. I was on, um, uh, I was a platoon commander of, Fox, of a second platoon Fox Company, 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines. And we were on Hill 56, not too far out of uh, Chulai. Um, it was monsoon season. 
and it was raining, raining, pouring rain and cold. And we were just out in it day after day after day. There was no, there was no shelter. You'd, um, my company commander came up to me one, one Sunday. We didn't know it was Sunday. We didn't know what day it was. There was sometimes I didn't know what month it was because every day it was the same. It was the same thing. You didn't know what day, what week, what month. So he comes up to me, my company commander, and he says, uh, hey, Lieutenant Madden, listen, I won't, I'm, I'm appointing you the company chaplain. I said, what are you doing? You're, he's the captain. And you say, okay, yes, sir. And he said, by the way, we're having chapel in 15 minutes. <laughs> Over by the S3 bunker. So I had 15 minutes to get ready for chapel, and I was the chaplain. So I walk over there, and they sent a couple of runners around. We were on a hilltop, like I say, Hill 56, our company, within the Constantino Wire. That was our base. We were, the, we were a forward outpost. And so he sent runners around telling everybody there was chapel over by the S3 bunker. And so about 15 Marines show up, and we're standing there in the mud. And I share that bridge with them. And I go through step by step by step. Then I give them my story as how I came to Christ and the difference that he had made. And so we had about a 30, 45 minute time. N nobody had Bibles. Nobody, nobody had anything. We had no singing, no nothing. It was just they show up and I share with them the gospel. So one guy comes up to me. He, he was in my outfit. Uh, he was a machine gunner, real stocky. Uh, his parents or his grandparents had come from Poland and had settled in the Chicago area. So he was a little stocky guy. And he came up to me. His name was H.F. Janachowski. In fact, I told him one day, I said, it takes me half a day to say your name, so I'm just going to call you Ski, okay? <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so Ski comes up, and he, uh, he says, hey, Lieutenant. Hey, Lieutenant, I, I don't know if I've ever done that or not, Lieutenant. And I said, well, Ski, I tell you what. Why don't you uh, take a walk around the hilltop, around the compound. Don't go outside the wire. And you just tell God that you're sorry for your sins. You really, you're, you're sorry that, that you made some mistakes. And you'd like to ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, the things that you've done wrong, and come in and just take possession of your life. So why don't you just take a walk and tell him that? So he said, okay, Lieutenant. And he left, and there was two or three other Marines that I was chatting with. But uh, maybe less than 10 minutes, seven or eight minutes, here he comes. He's running through the mud. And he runs up to me, and he said, hey, Lieutenant, hey, Lieutenant, I did it, Lieutenant, I did it. And he was happier than a clam. But he had assurance that he and God were together. He had given his life, and he had that assurance. And I've seen other guys that I've said, listen, why gamble? You're not sure? Why gamble? Why take the chance? Deal with it. I mean, give your life to Christ. Get, take a walk and give your life to Christ. By the way, uh, you go home to church or you're in some, in your, in your meeting, in your, in your business, and your boss comes up to you and say, listen, we got, uh, we got Christmas party here. And listen, I want you to tell them what Christmas is all about, Okay. And you got no warning, you got no, nothing. Or can you do that? And what I'm asking, I think, is are you preparing yourself for what God may want to do through you? 
God needs somebody in that business. God needs somebody in that housing unit. Or, or, or you, can he use you? And the question is, are you preparing yourself? Can, you be, can God say, hey, I'm not sweating that housing unit. I got a man there. I'm not sweating that unit. I got a gal over there that can, I, I can use. I'm not worried about that unit. And, and that's, this is what we should be doing. I mean, we ought to be prepared. We ought to be people that are ready, that God can put his hand on us and use us to accomplish his purposes. That just ought to be the, the way we are. Um, open your Bible to Exodus 34 and look at verse 2. We talked about having a quiet time. Exodus 34, 2 is my favorite verse on how to have a quiet time. Look at Exodus 34, 2. And if you got a, a, a good translation like a, a NIV 84 or New American Standard, or, might have you stand up and read that. Exodus 34, 2. You got a, what, what do you got? What version you got? NIV, yeah. Is it a late? Is it the eighty-four or is it the latest one? Older. Hey, okay, that's a good deal. I, I kid the guys in my Bible study. Listen, you got that Walmart version. You need to get you a decent version. <laughs> you need to get you a decent version. You got that Walmart version, you. And so, anyway, read the NIV thirty Exodus thirty-four two. We'll read it at a phrase at a time. So start loud. Be ready in the morning. Okay. <laughs> Be ready in the morning. Where's your Bible? Where's your journal? Where's the pen you use to mark with? Do you want a cup? Did you put on the coffee the night before? Do you know where you're going to go, where you can have good light? Do you know where you're going to be? Are you ready? So verse the 34, be ready in the morning and? Then come up on Mount Sinai. Okay. Where can I meet with God? Where is God? Where can I find a place where I can be with God? Where, where, is, where can I find a place that I'm not distracted such that I can be with God? And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning in the Mount Sinai. That's where God was. And? Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. Okay, don't bring me your do list. Don't bring me your worries. Don't bring me the things that are uh, bothering you. I want you. You present yourself to me. So when you come and meet with God in your quiet time, you say, God, I'm... I, I'm here. I'm submitting myself to you. Would you please teach me from your word? Make me like yourself. Would you bring change in my life that you want to do? God, I present myself to you. Okay, you're not through. Stand up. Read the first phrase in, in verse 3. No one is to come with you. Right. <laughs> this is not a group activity. This is me and God. That's your quiet time. So have that quiet time. Thanks very much. But have that quiet time. Be ready in the morning. Come to where you can meet with God. And present yourself to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with you. This is, me, this is my time with you. That's a quiet time. Isn't that a great verse? That's a quiet time. Then we talked about, the, uh, we talked about being a disciple and making disciples. And we talked about is Christ the center of your life? Is he the authority in your life? Are you walking in obedience to the things that you know? Is the, is the word of God the foundation of your life? I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 32 and look at verse, I think it starts at about 45. And someone uh, 
You got the same, we'll send the same guy. Send it. Okay, you got to. Yeah, 32. And I think it for, it's 45. How does 45 start? After he said all these things to all Israel, he said to them, real loud. Okay. Deuteronomy 32, 45 through 47. Great verse. When Moses finished reciting all these words to Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the, the words of the law. Keep going. They are not just, they are not just idle words for you. They are, they are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Okay. And he says, when, now what happened? The book of Deuteronomy is a repeat. It's, it's ditto. It's duplicate. What happened is that the people at Mount Sinai and God had shared his rules, his law, his way of life to the people of Israel. They got to Kadesh Barnea and they balked. They, would, they wouldn't go in. The giants are too big. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sights as grasshoppers. And so we were in, in their sights. And they quit. And so God says, okay, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to let you guys die in the wilderness. I'm going to take your kids in. So 40 years later, when the kids are ready to go in, Moses says, you know, I'm going to repeat the law. New generation, new bunch, I'm going to repeat the law. And that's Deuteronomy. He du duplicates, he repeats, he dittos the law. And when he gets through, he says this, and when Moses had finished speaking all these words to Israel, he said to them, take to your heart all these words which I am commanding you today, which you shall command your children to observe, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word to you. It is your life. And that's, that, that's the word of God in the bridge illustration. The disciple, the word of God is his life. That's what gives you direction. That's what gives you wisdom. That's what creates your value system. That's what tells you how to, how to treat people. That tells you the decisions you need to be making. It is the Word of God. It is the foundation of your life. That's a disciple and the type of person that we're supposed to produce. And then prayer. In, in all things, uh, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Uh, pray without ceasing. Bring all of your life to God. Incorporate God into your life in everything. Make God a part of your life in everything. And then fellowship. Share with one another. Help one another. Be helped with one, by one another. And witnessing. Share this good news with those who don't know Christ yet. And that's a disciple. So we talked about that. Now let me ask you a question. How would it be if everybody in your dorm or everybody in your housing unit was a disciple? How would it be? That would be pretty neat, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, every single swinging hip in my, in my dorm is a disciple. Everybody in my neighborhood, everybody on my block in my neighborhood, is, he lives that way. He's a disciple. <laughs> Can you, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Wouldn't that be a fantastic place to live? So what are you doing about that? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bring that about. That's what we're here for. Wouldn't it be neat? That if everybody knew Christ and walked with Christ like that, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be just wonderful? I heard the, the band uses a term, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> so I don't know what cool is, but that would be cool. 
<laughs> okay, th this is the third thing that transformed me, that from which I never recovered. I had a good buddy that uh, had the asphalt paving business in Texas and uh, paving roads. Well, I needed, I needed rocks to do that, to make the asphalt with. This guy was a rock salesman. Bob Brandon was his name. Good guy. Loved the Lord. And he would come up uh, from his company, Texas Crushed Stone, and uh, he would, uh, we would spend five minutes working out and making some contracts for purchasing uh, aggregate. And then we'd spend the rest of the time he was there fellowshipping on our, on our walk with God. It's such a great time. He was a wonderful guy. We had great times together. Uh, and the amazing thing, we could all go out to dinner together and charge it to his company. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, he wrote it off, you know. Hey, all right. But anyway, Bob and I had some great time. But he, one day he told me, he said, Chuck, you need to go to this seminar called the Successful Life Seminar in Kerrville, Texas. He said they do it about twice a year. And I said, Bob, listen, I've been, I don't want to go to some charm school that tries to get me to look and act a certain way. I ain't got time for that. He said, no, no, it would really help you. It's called the Successful Life Seminar. I said, Bob, I, I got to, no time for those things. But he kept bugging me. So finally I went. And I got down there, and it was one of those things. Uh, Ed Foreman was the teacher. And he kept talking about you are a product of your thinking. You need to change how you think. You need to work on how you process information. And if, it, if you do, it will change your life. You, don't, you want to change your life, you change the way you think. And over and over, while well, I'm sitting back here with my arms folded, yeah, teach me some more, Ed. And I, I'm just skeptical. But what happens is I'm sitting there, this thing things last three days. And I'm sitting there thinking about this. I thought, you know, this, this just sounds like it may be something there. And I, all day long I listened and uh, I thought about, you know, this just, there's something here. And I couldn't, I couldn't grasp exactly what it was, but I couldn't just dismiss it. So that night they all go out to town and have a big meal and they're going to hoot and holler and stand up and cheer and wave flags and whatever, you know, they're going to have a good time. And I can't do that. So I get my gym gear. I, I go for a run. I go for a jog. And back in those days, I was in decent shape. And I could run, you know, 8, 10, 12 miles and not even breathe hard. About an eight-minute-a-mile eight, mile, eight minute a mile clip. And so I just took off of the hills. This was in the hill country of Texas. I just took off down this farm market road, up and down these hills, thinking and praying, God, what is this? I've never been exposed to, the, to this type of thinking, but what, what is this? But I told God, I said, God, it just has the ring of truth. It just sounds like there's some truth there. It, 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 just, has the, it just has the ring of truth. And, but God, I, help me to understand it. And up and down these hills, mile after mile after mile, I thought and I prayed about, is there something here I need to be learning? Is this something here that, that, that I need to incorporate? And uh, so I came back the second day. Well, I'm all ears now. I'm listening. And I went through this three-day seminar, and it was the beginning of a major change in my life. Now, <clears throat> I went back, uh, <clears throat> I, re I read a book. I found this book called The Magic of Thinking Big by a guy named David Schwartz. I read that thing and was just, con I, I underlined almost every line. Then I read one called The Millionaire Mind by, by Harv Ecker. And I thought, wow, this, 
this is, this is a fantastic concept. This is, this is so helpful in developing not what I think, but how I think. And then I read one called The Five Pieces of the Life Puzzle by Jim Rohn. And I read that one and I go, wow. You know, I read The, uh, the Magic of Thinking Big and I go, wow. And I, I read The Millionaire Mind and I go, wow. And I, I read the, the Five Pieces of the life, the life Puzzle and I just go, wow. And then I, uh, so what I did, I involved an equipped disciple at Watermark. And in lesson three of book one, there's a little article called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And how things that you deem to be urgent needing to be done in an urgent manner rob you of ever getting to that which is important. Because you're always preoccupied by that which is urgent. Well, I read that. And I took that and the books that I read and the seminar that I had been to, and I put together a PowerPoint. And I presented that to my class there at Watermark, our equipped disciple classes, only about 150 young professionals. And I presented it to them, and they go, wow, because it was good stuff. And that's what I want to present to you today. I want to present to you the little, the little workshop, the simply uh, PowerPoint that I put together, trying to capsulize this thinking, this concept is that you can be different, but you need to change how you process information, how you think. And that's what, that's, uh, that's, that's what I want to present to you as far as the, uh, the PowerPoint. Um, let me, uh, I think my, my, is my uh, remote back there somewhere, Bob? Okay. My remote is remote. But this was called, I call it, I call it a study in purposeful living. That's because I want to live that way. I want to live purposely. I don't want to live haphazardly, accidentally, mediocre, uh, aimlessly. I don't want to live an aimless life. I want to live a, live a purposeful life. But that has to do with who am I? Wh who did God make? So I put all this together into a PowerPoint. So now... I'm going to give you some basic stuff here, but I looked up, what is tyranny? And it said, I looked it up in the dictionary, Webster's, and it just said it's an oppressive power. Now, usually it's government or politics or something like that, but it's something that's holding you back. It's something that's powerful. It can overcome you. It can rule you. Now, it's, it, what the, uh, our tyranny, uh, of the, the tyranny of the urgent is that this seemingly endless things that we need to do, they act like this tyrannical power that they keep us from any significant goal that we want to accomplish with our life. You know, how many times you get up to my age and you hear people say, you know, I wish I had, but they didn't. And you hear them say, you know, at one time I could have, but they didn't. And they never, they never became the person that they knew they could be or wanted to be or longed to be. And the reason they didn't is they kept letting the little things get in the way and they never got to the major things. But uh, the important activities are things that are really critical. They, they contribute to us becoming who we want to be. They have more long-term impact. They help us to reach our goals. They help us to become the man or the woman that God has called us to be and has equipped us to be and has made us to be. Those are important activities, but the urgent activities keep crowding them out. We never have time to get to them. 
urgent activity short term, little things you have to do. You know, I've got a do list and I have a lot of things to do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still real busy. Uh, and so I wrote down, I just sat down a couple of days ago and wrote, okay, what all have I got to do? And I wrote down 55 things. I got 55 things on my do list. And so then, of course, I take them and I say, okay, what's got to be, what's the most important and then what needs to be done today? But I've got my do, I've got a gob of stuff I need to do. I've got all manner of urgent activities, but what I need to be careful about is that I don't let, I don't let them crowd out what's important. So there's a constant tension that de develops between the two. But look down at the bottom. Tony Jerry made this comment. Most people don't take the time to prioritize. They just react. And that's what we do. We react to circumstances. This happens. This person calls. I get this text. I get this email. And we just react. And we forget about, wait a minute, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? But we get into the habit. We just react. So there's a, there's a struggle between the two, always is, between those two, urgent and the important. Uh, okay, here's the biblical basis. This is super critical. You want to memorize some good verses, and I know you do. Memorize these. This Psalms 139, uh, 13 through 16. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You made me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O Lord, and my soul knows it very well. My frame, which means my skeleton, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. It means deep in my mom's womb, you put me together with skill. This is what the Bible is claiming. Then it says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. I mean, when I was just a blob, God was sitting right there working. And it says, your eyes have seen, and in your book, you, they were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. And God says, before you came out of the womb, I had your life laid out. I had your life planned. I knew what you were going to do every day for your life. That is amazing. You know what that means? That means that in my life, that I'm somebody, that I'm, I'm, I'm significant. I have meaning the way God created me. Now, let me tell you, Bob shared with us about, uh, uh, about bad thinking. And he says, does anybody in here, are anybody in here haunted by thinking of, of, uh, of negative thoughts about who I am? And let me tell you, let me tell you how God thinks about you. You are, you are blessed of God. And so one by one, you stand up and you say, man, I used to be, I used to feel like I was stupid. But now I am, I am blessed of God. I used to feel like I was inadequate. I used to feel like I was slow. I used to feel like that I was incompetent. But now, and every one of you, you every one of you said, but now, but now I am blessed of God. You know what changed? You didn't change iota. You're the sit there with the same shirt on and the same tennis shoes, the same hair that needs to be combed. <laughs> You're this... You're the same person. What changed? Your thinking changed. No, I don't think that way anymore. I think this way. And you don't think you're dumb anymore. You think you're a child of God. You think you're special. You're not inadequate anymore. You are very adequate because you walk with God. 
And, and you didn't change. You're still sitting in the same seat, but your thinking changed. And that's what I'm trying to tell you is that we need to think biblically. We need to think according to truth. Now, here's the deal. You had no choice in the most determinative factors of your life. You did not choose your mom. You didn't choose your dad with all of his characteristics and ways. You didn't choose the color of your, the, what color you are, the country of your birth, how tall you grew to be, your socioeconomic status, your personality, your temperaments, your strengths, weaknesses, gifts, abilities. You didn't choose any of that. You came here a package deal. You had all that when you were born. And where's the, little, the, the lady back here that's got the two little old kiddos and she's back here and, you know, she rolls them back here. And those little old kids came as a package deal. They got all of that. Didn't choose any of it. But who did choose it? And the fact is God did. You are God's choice. And you know what God says? It, it, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My soul knows that. God made you. So do you realize what we're talking about? What we're talking about is living the life that God himself designed and planned for you. That's the life we want to live. Jesus happened to call that the abundant life. That is the abundant life. I'm living the life that God designed for me to be. So God carefully put each of us together with a definite purpose in mind. Now let me read Hebrews 12, 1. Great verse to memorize. Great verse. You got to put this one on your future memory list. I know you will. I know you'll have this one memorized before the bus gets back, right? Okay. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily besets us or entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You don't choose the race. You don't choose what God has, the purpose that God has in mind for you. He did. And then he built you perfectly to complete that race successfully. He knows the race that he has for you. And he made you, he equipped you, made you, he gave you the abilities to run that race successfully. But what you need to do, and here's what one guy said, God chooses his race, but how well we run it is up to us. So get rid of the weights What's holding you back? What's dragging you down? What are you doing that's counterproductive? What are you doing that's hindering you? And by the way, when you come to Christ and you go through some trials and some suffering, you know what God is doing? He's trying to root that stuff out of you. This is hindering you. This is not a good habit that you've got. This, this type of thinking is not healthy for you. Let me help you get rid of that. And so the things that we go through that we call trials... It's simply God removing the negative that, that's hurting us. He's getting that out of our life. So get ready. And this, uh, uh, let us run with endurance. But the, the, the sin that so e easily entangles us. I looked up these words. I studied this stuff. And that word entangles me. It, it was the picture of a guy trying to run a race, in, in essence, in a bathrobe. He's got this long robe, and he's trying to run, and his legs keep getting tangled up in his robe, and he's flopping, and fl he can't make very, very good progress. Get rid of the robe. Run your race without the robe entangling you. And that's what sin does. It just entangles you. Uh, you did not choose the race. God did, but you do choose how well you run it. But here, the vast majority of people never accomplish what they're capable of. Look at the bottom 
the bottom. Our lives are a trail of unfinished tasks. That's, that's the history of our lives. It's just a trail of unfinished. We start and, fall, start and falter, start and falter. But my passion, when I meet with men, and I do meet with men, I've got an accountability group that meets every morning, every Friday morning at 6. And my objective is to help those men to be the man that God called them to be. I want them to be the best. I want them to be all that they can be. And that's why I meet with them. That's my purpose, to help them perform at their best the lives of which they are truly capable. But Eric Hoffer wrote a book called The True Believer. And in this, he said, we're warned not to waste our time, but in essence, we're wasting our lives because we never think through. Who am I? Where am I going? What am I good at? Am I developing that? Am I, am I growing in that? Am I learning that? And in... Uh, Edison made a comment, if we did the things we're capable of doing, you know, you'd shock yourself, not to mention your parents. But okay, now here, I drew this little illustration, and that's supposed to be a, uh, that's supposed to be an iceberg. I couldn't find a decent iceberg online to copy, but I, so I just made a, a triangle. And if you'll f see that first horizontal line, that's the water level. And above that line, you see the iceberg, but we know that most icebergs are, are, are below the water. They're huge hunks of ice, but the majority is below water. It's only the top that we see. And so in, our, in, our, in this story, people see what you do. They see your acts. They see your reactions. But they, and the, but they, don't, see, they, they don't see the rest of you. But what's below that? Where do you, why do you think that way? And the answer is because that's the way you think. I act that way because that's the way I'm think, I think. Let me... Um, I was talking to you about what Bob shared with us and how we changed our thinking. And it changes our action. I wrote down here one... I've heard this before and you have too, but God don't make no junk. God don't make junk. And so in the, what God made was wonderful. It was, it was beautifully made. I'm going to take a chance here. Will you turn in your Bible to Genesis 11? I'm going to roll the dice here. And look at verse 6. And somebody, uh, if you want to stand up and read that one real loud, but you've got to have a, have a booming voice. But Genesis eleven six, Okay, just everybody got it? Genesis, if you don't know, that's the first book in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, surprise. Amen. Yep, okay, you got eleven six. everybody? Pardon? Okay, read, read it out loud, real loud. 11-6. Just, uh, he, he's loving it. Okay, go ahead and read it. We'll let him suck it, guy. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Genesis 11, 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose will do now will be impossible for them. Okay, now, and God saw that uh, 
And God said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all la one language, and this they have begun to do. They were building the Tower of Babel. In, in, in verse 4 it says, Come, come and let us build a, a city for ourselves with a, tower whose, uh, with a tower whose top reaches into heaven. Let us make ourselves famous, else we'll be scattered all over the world. That's Genesis 11:4. And so they're going to build this tower, this big city. God comes down to check it out. And, and God says, hmm, the people are one. They have all one language, and this is what they're doing. But the next statement, this is a, the assessment of God. And God says, there is nothing that will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. They're going to be able to do anything. These are pagans. These are not people who are following God. They have nothing to do with God. And God comes down. You know why they're that way? You know why they have that capacity? They're made in the image of God. God made them. They're made in His image. That's why they have this incredible capability, incredible uh, uh, limit, no, no limits. And God Himself assesses these pagan people as saying, they, they're one, they have all one language, they've started to do the, In fact, nothing that they've started, they will be restrained from doing. Now, I'll read that about myself, and I say, well, no, wait a minute, Chuck. Is that just for the pagans, or is that your test? Is that what God says about you? And of course it is. That's what God says about each of us. You have unlimited, I mean, God made you in His image. You just have unlimited ability. But how's your thinking? And the Proverbs tells us, for as a man thinks within himself, so is he. You are a product of your thinking. But the question is, why do you think that way? And the answer is because of your values. Every man decides always in the direction of his hope. A man always decides in the direction of his value. Let me give you some illustrations. I read a, a study one time, and it was in Time magazine. Back in the back, they had a section called uh, Science, the Science section. And they had an article there about what is the interplay, the relationship of the mind and the will. How do they, do, how do they relate? The mind and the will. And the article, I think it was done by Harvard Medical School, but they went on to say that what happens is that the mind gathers information through the five senses or through reasoning, and it gathers information and it makes suggestions to the will as to a course of action. Why don't you go to the break on the lake? Your mind put together, gathered some information, read some brochures, heard the testimony of some of your buddies, and the, and the, will, and the mind says, why don't you go to the lake? It does that over 30,000 times a day. Your mind will present to your will an option. Now, here's the amazing criteria, the amazing fact. The article went on to say that the only criteria by which we say yes or no to a suggestion is the question, is it pleasurable? That's it. So you think about going up to the human, you think, well, would that be pleasurable? You know what that's based on? What do I value? What is meaningful to me? It, will that be pleasurable? You say, yeah, sounds like a good time. But the will makes the, the decision based on the suggestion of the mind, but the only criteria is, do I deem that to be pleasurable? Now let me give you another you ought, to illustrate, you ought to understand this one. Uh, when I was at A&M, I had to take organic chemistry. It was part of my major. It was a bear. It, it was tough. Organic. 
Are you a chemistry guy? No, you, you look like a chemistry guy. But, but I had to take organic. And so uh, let's say I'm studying one night. I'm in my room and I'm studying. And I got all these formulas, you know, carbon compounds. Organic is carbon compounds. I had already had two courses in inorganic, which is non-carbon compounds. So I'm studying these carbon compounds and these reactions. And if you do this and add it to this and heat it to this temperature, it have all these formulas and reactions. And I'm studying all this stuff, getting ready for my, ma my major quiz the next morning at 8 o'clock. I got a quiz, 8 o'clock. And I'm studying. And all of a sudden, my buddies come by. Hey. Let's take a study break. Go down and grab some pizza, Coke, recharge the batteries. You know, let's take a break. Is that pleasurable? <laughs> or would I rather study organic? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but here's, what, here's how my thinking processes. I think, now, wait a minute. That'd be fun. I'd really like that. But if I walk into that class the next morning at 8 o'clock, sleepy, ill-prepared, not quite sure on some of those formulas and some of those reactions, and I'm, and I'm not quite ready. Uh-uh. Uh, no, no, no. I need this. This is in my major. I need this. So you say, catch you later. You guys go ahead. I'm going to stay and study. You know why you decided that? Because that was the most pleasurable thing for you. That, that was in line of your values. That was in line with your hope. That was the most pleasurable thing. And you do that every single decision that you make. Every decision that you make is in line with your values, in line with your hope, in line with what you consider pleasurable. Every decision that you make. And so, where, you know, you know where you, you are today exactly where you have chosen to be. You're just as smart as you've chosen to be. You've made the decisions. You're just as healthy as you've chosen to be. You made the call. You made the decisions. And, and, and that's, that's how we are. So what I'm saying is, what is your value system? What is driving your thinking? And the, the comment up here, all permanent change takes place in the altering of your value system. You want to change, you can, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Good luck with that. Well, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. Good luck with that. You will not change until you change what you value. What is important to you? What is, what is uh, significant and meaningful to you, valuable to you? You will not change until you change that. So, question. How do you change your value system? How do you change what is important to me? And the, I, I just, uh, I came, I think... Uh, uh, maybe it seems to slide. Maybe okay. Let me go on. Your, your values. Where do your values come from? Your values come from what you consider truth. That may be the Bible. It may not be. It may be what your mother and dad told you. It may be what your neighbors or you had an uncle. But your 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 values come from what you consider truth. But that truth is what you think will work. It will get me there. It may be biblical. It may not. But that's what you, you're, you're, you're basing your values are coming out of something you feel, feel that you can count on. It will get me there. This is, this is truth. This will work for me. And it may be the Bible. It may not. But your truth system determines your values, which determines the way you think, which determines what you do. So how do you alter your value system? And, and I, uh, I can only come up with one word. 
I thought about this a lot. How, does, how do I change who I am? How do I alter what I value? I got to stop and think. I got to stop and reflect. Who am I? How did God make me? What are my gifts and abilities? What am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? What have I been successful in? And I stop and reflect. And as, and I, as I reflect, but here's the problem. Most people, this is a, a quote by Alan Lakin, most people don't think in terms of minutes. They waste the minutes, nor do they think in terms of their whole life. Uh, a, a number of you, particularly as you get up around your senior year, so you begin to think, hey, what am I going to do next? But you know what I ask my men to do? That, that I, have, I have this accountability group. You know what I ask them to do? I want you to tell me where you'll be in 10 years. I want it in detail. How many kids you got? Tell me about your health. What kind of shape are you in? Where's your job? How much money are you making? Where do you live? Tell me how old your kids are. What, what grade are they in? What are you doing? To, what skills are you developing? What, uh, how, how are you developing your kids? I want it in detail. And I ask these men to create, and so they go, oh, it's going to take a lot of work. And that's right. You got to stop and reflect. You know why I do that? Because most likely they're going to be alive in 10 years. My question is, are you going to be, do you want to be the man that you wish you were? Or are you just going to kind of let it happen? Uh, just, you know, whatever the circumstances are, I'm just going to go to work every day and just let it happen. Or are you going to say, no, I want to be this type of guy. I want to be this woman. I want to be, I want to be able to do this. I want to have this. And you, and you start and you, that is your, those becomes your values and you start thinking, how can I get there? But Alan Lakin says, we don't think that way. We live in, we live in the moment. I can ask you when you get back, what are you going to do? And you may have some kind of vague idea for the next, maybe when you get back, maybe the next day. But do you know what you're going to do the rest of the month? Do you know where you plan to be by the end of, uh, by the end of this semester? Where are you going to be? Tell me what your life looks like at the end of the semester. There is a good chance you don't get, you've never given it a thought. Well, I'll be a junior. Now, what does that mean? But that's, uh, that's Alan Lakin says we're doing a random walk through life, moving without ever getting anywhere. We're just kind of taking it a day at a time. But he says this, the real question is, what do we really want to do? If we don't know, sooner or later, we will realize that whatever it was, we've run out of time. I wish I had. You know, I wish that I could, but you can't. And you've run out of time. It doesn't matter what you wish you were. You've run out of time. So, ask, your, I came up, ask yourself four questions. This is probably the heart of the little PowerPoint that I created here. But ask yourself four questions. What do I want to be? What do I want to do? And what do I want to have? Now, I just want you to know, I, uh, I eat my own cooking. Uh, I don't propose something that I don't do. I don't ask my men to create a 10-year plan, and I don't do one. In fact, I told them, I said, you know, I have one advantage that you don't have. I only have to create one. Because in 10 years, I ain't going to be here. But you might do it, but I'm not. So I only got to create one. I, I, I'm way ahead of you guys. I just got to do it one time. But that's, but I don't, I don't have them do what I don't do. So I ask him, so create a 10 year plan, but also I ask him, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And what do you want to have in specifics, reflect, stop and think. So I got mine. 
I got my list. I eat my own cooking here. I want to be a, a man who knows the ways and the purposes of God. Number three, I want to be a man of faith. I want to walk by faith. Luke 7, 19. The centurion comes to Jesus. No, he doesn't. He sends, he sends some troops. And Jesus says, he's got a servant that's dying. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And uh, the centurion sends word, says, no, you don't have to come to my house. I know what authority is all about. I tell a soldier to come, he comes. I tell a soldier to go, he goes. I tell a soldier to do this, he does it. I know what authority is. All you got to do is say the word. You know what the next verse says? These words amazed Jesus. How many times is the Son of God amazed? These words amazed Jesus. And he turned to the crowd, which was following behind him, and said, I have never found faith like this anywhere, even in Israel. And so I say to God, you know, God, I want to have a faith that just stuns you. I want to have a faith that amazes you. God, help me. I created me. Do the work in my life that I need so that I have a faith that just amazes you. And so I got my list. Uh, I got my do's. Uh, I got my haves. The haves is longer. But uh, I'd like to have a deep, meaningful relationship. Look down at uh, uh, number, number five. I've shifted that one a shop for teaching my grandkids woodworking skills. I got all the tools and I got some skill, but I've traded that. I'm going to shift that to my son's house. I'm going to set up the shop in his house. I'm going to go to where the grandkids are, and I want to teach them. That. But I work with Samuel. I work with Cash. I work with Cooper. I want to do the. I want to teach. I've got some skills. I know a little bit about woodworking. Let me pass that on. That's what I want to have. I want to have some grandkids. I want to have a shop that I can help my grandkids. I want to have good health. I want to have an excellent memory for names. That is horrible. You know what I did? I just signed up for a course, How to Improve Your Memory. Why? Because I want to have an excellent memory for names. Okay, but here's the next question. What education, what training, what experience will I need to become that person? What help do you need? What do you need? Do you need to take a course? Do you need to go through a seminar? Do you need to transfer schools like I did? What do you need? What, do you need to make yourself an apprentice to somebody who's really skilled and learn from them? So the third question is when, where, and through whom? And gang, if, it, if you don't have it scheduled, it's only a dream. It's not a goal. If you don't have it scheduled, if you don't know where, when, and through whom, then it's just a dream. Then, then the fourth thing is very, what price am I willing to pay? What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to change? What am I willing to quit doing? Who, what am I willing to be, quit being a part of? Bob told you he quit the track team in order that he might become the man of God that he wanted to be. He quit the track team. It was a paid scholarship. It was paying his way through college. And he quit it because he wanted to become a man of God. And he couldn't do both. So what price are you willing to pay? Here's a good quote. One half of knowing what you want is knowing what you must give up to get it. Gang, you got to think through. You got to think, is it worth it? Do I really want that? What am I willing to give up? The question is, so are you driven by the urgency, uh, the urgent, all the little things that you need to do, everything? Are, the, are those driving you? Or are you, are you uh, let me back up. Or are you guided by the important, or the important things, really what is the basis of your decisions? 
Now, I, I have a couple of things that help me. When will it be too late to become what you might have been? That is a very serious question. You ought to write that sucker out on your laptop, print it out, and paste it on your mirror. When will it be too late to become the man, to become a woman that I, that I, long, I, I would have longed to have been? And then I got this is for me. I wrote this out. It's stupid. But I, I like the way I, I like to think about it. I like to contemplate this. But when I'm going to live now, how one day I wish I had. I want to do that now. How one day instead of one day I wish I had. No, no, I'm doing that now. So I wrote that out for myself. I'm going to live now. How one day I wish I had. Uh, oops. How did I get there? Now, get this. One life lived wisely. You be that person. You do that. You can make an enormous difference in the lives of so many people. Everybody that rubs up against you is helped because you are a person that has, you are a purpose that's living, you are a person that is living with a purpose. You are living wisely. Your life is counting. And you will be an enormous influence on so many people. Okay, now, you see the top? This is uh, old Watash, and that's my purpose and goals. I did that. I did that reflecting. I sat down and thought. And so the first thing, I, this is 2022 and beyond. I may not get it all done in a year. I'm pretty sure I won't get it all done in a year. That may take me three or four years. But this is the direction that I'm heading with my life. And so I wrote down, this is, this is the, what I know. I know this is a fact. And number one is my years remaining are at best in single digits. I know that. I'm foolish if I don't live that way. Hey, uh, Neil, do I have some white paper back there? Some... Yeah, there they are. I think I got about, I brought, I brought my Manila folder I keep this in. And so I got three or four copies here. But so that's what I know that my years remaining at best are in single digits. I know that I need to function based on that. I'm not super duck anymore. I'm running out of gas. My physical and mental abilities and my capacity are rapidly diminishing. I know that. I'm getting weaker. I'm getting slower. I can't hear as well. I can't see as well. My back hurts more. I'm, 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 I'm running out of gas. I know that. That doesn't stop me. I just need to be aware of that. Number three, that God, this is good. God perfectly made me in my mother's womb to accomplish the very purposes he intended me to accomplish. I am well equipped from birth to do what God has called me to do. I know that. Number four, that all of my life, get this one, that has gone before me was an intended part of developing me into what I am today. And I talked to a young lady here. You know, she said I dropped out of Christian fellowship for two or three years and just strayed. And that haunts me. And I told her, I said, that is true. That, is, that was wrong. That was sin. That was a mistake. God will use that. That will be a part of how he develops and uses you to God. That He does not going to waste that. He's not going to waste that time. Uh, he's going to use that. And I know that for myself, that all of my life that has gone before me, it was intended to develop me into who I am today and to, to accomplish the purposes that God has for me. That wasn't wasted. Uh, I went into the Marine Corps, and the guy told me, Bob Boardman, 
He said, Chuck, don't ever think that this is a waste of time, that this is kind of an interlude between college and career. This is, Chuck, this is a valuable time. This can help you. This can change you. This can train you. This can develop you. Don't think this is a waste of time. This is not some interlude between college and career. I thought, good advice, Bob. Thank you. There, and there is no greater purpose than his purpose for me. Uh, that's just the basis of my, my planning. So here's a scripture. Here's who I want to be. So I think, and these are verses that I've memorized, but um, number one, 1 Chronicles 12, 22, and of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. I pray, God help me to understand what's happening while it's happening. I don't want to read about today, 20 years from now, and what was really happening. I don't want to be dumb and unalert and uh, unaware of what's going on today. God help me to understand history while it's happening. And I pray that all the time. God help me to, to hear the news or to see in information and facts and understand where are we going? What is happening to us? And understand that. That's the longing of my heart. So I pray that. Uh, second, the third one, second Chronicles the 31, 20 and 21. And in, in every work that he began in the house of God and in the law and in the prophets to seek his God, he did it with all of his heart and prospered. And I said, God, that's who I want to be. I want wholeheartedness. Just take a lipstick tube and write it right across my forehead that I want to be wholehearted in everything I do. So that's, 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 the verse, that's me. That's who I want to be. Number D is, is the verse I quoted to you about faith. But uh, number E is, is, is I want to finish my course with joy. I want to, you know, my favorite verse, you know, the verse that I want from my epitaph, it's not well done, good and faithful service. That's what everybody wants. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know what my epitaph is? John 17, 4. This is what Jesus said. John 17, 4. I have finished, I have glorified thee on the earth. I finished the work which you gave me to do. That's, that's what I want. When you, at my grave, or when I come into heaven or whatever, or on my epitaph, I want it to be, I glorified you on earth. I finished the work which you gave me to do. And that's what Jesus said, John 17, 4. That's what I want to say. I've, God, I'm on my deathbed, but I finished what you gave me to do. And so I, that's why I want to live purposely. That's why I want to think through on who am I and where am I going and what has God called me to do. I don't want to, I don't want to end up thinking, boy, I really blew it. Man, I wish I had. Oh, man, I, 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 if only I had. I don't want to end up that way. And so here's what I do. Next step, those are promises God has given to me and my wife. That's critical. Those are the promises. Those are mine. Those are me, that's me and God, my wife and God. God gave us those promises. That's how we did Okay, now here's the purposes of my remaining years. I'm going to read these to you. I got, uh, I got four purposes. To God, I want to know God, His character, His purposes, and His ways. I want to live in obedience to His Word, and I want to live by faith in His character and His promises. My faith is based on who God is and what He said. I want to live that way. My, for my family, simple. I want to lead them. I want to, I want to love them. And I want to be responsible for them. You know, when I die, if I got killed on the way home, don't get any ideas. But if I got killed on the way home, 
I'm still responsible for my wife. If, if any, and if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. 1 Timothy 1.5. My family is my responsibility, dead or alive. And if I leave this earth suddenly, did I leave them in good shape? I'm responsible. I, want to, I realize I'm responsible for my family. I want to love them. I want to lead them. And I realize I'm responsible for my kids and my grandkids and my wife. Others, my goal with others, including you, is I want to help everyone I meet to be a better person. So we sit at the table and, you know, have some carbohydrates. All food at camps is carbohydrates. <clears throat> Don't ask me. Why. It's, just, it's just part of the deal. It's all carbohydrates. So, but anyway, we're sitting there having our plate of carbo carbos, and I, I want to help you to be a best. So what I share with you, I want to help you. A lot of times I share verses because you are not interested in me or my philosophy. What you need to hear is what does God say? But I want to be, that's just my goal. That's, that drives me. And for me personally, I want to live a, I, I want to live a disciplined, purpose, purposeful life. Uh, here's the second one. I want to define and live an extraordinary life. I don't want to be average. I don't want to be mediocre. And so I, I want to live an extraordinary life. I want to develop extraordinary people. And our accountability group, I push them and I push them and I have the bar up here. I have the standard up here and I push them for that. Why? Because I don't want them to be average. The world is full of average. I want them to be extraordinary. I want to be extraordinary. But then my wife is always on me about writing. You need to put some of this in writing. Some of your quiet times are so rich and so uh, helpful and so uh, on target that you need to be writing. And so I wrote, so I, okay, to put in writing the truths of God that he has revealed to me and the lessons of life that he has taught me. So that's another one. And then that's what I want to do the rest of my life. And so what did I do? Okay. I got my spiritual goals and my spiritual activities. So that's my goal. And those are the things that I'll do to achieve it. I thought through. I sat down and reflected. I took some time. And I thought, God, I want to be a man. How did I become that? Well, you do this. Well, you do that. Well, you pray this. Well, you read this. And I, and I, I, got my, I got my list. I got my goals. How about my family goals? My wife, you know what I want for my wife? This is what I do for my wife. I, she is not my disciple. She is a woman of God. I, and she is not, had not been given to me for me to disciple her. It, it, she has been given to me for me to love her and provide for her. As like Ephesians 5, 3 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the only job description I can find in the New Testament. I didn't find it. Husbands, get your wife in the Word. Husbands, help your wife in Scripture memory. It's husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's my job description. That's what I try to do. Help my wife be all that God has called and gifted her to be as a wife, a mother, and a grandmother, and a woman of God. You tell me what that looks like. I'll help you get there, is my, is my relationship to my wife. You've called the shot. You know what God is doing in your life. You know what God wants you to do. I'll help you get there. My kids, my grandkids. I, I got uh, the grandkids. I can't teach them. They're not my kids. 
But I can reinforce what their mom and dad are teaching them. And I can, I can be a, and I, I just really feel like if I'm not having fun with my grandkids, I'm probably in sin. You ought to be having fun with your kids. So that's my goal. I, I've, knowing that, when I get with them, we have fun. I was, Neil and I were walking back to, from breakfast today. He had William with him. And old William was having a ball, and Neil was having a ball with him. It was kind of childish for me. You know, I'm walking around to see this stuff here, but I, okay. They, they were having fun. <laughs> That's the way it ought to be. Uh, I'm telling you, I got, but anyway, uh, here's my health goals. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in limited capacity because of things I neglected. I, I don't want to be hindered because I neglected. You know, I could do this, but... You know, I, I should be doing this, but no, 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 no. I want to keep myself in the best shape that I can because I want to be able to do as much as I can for as long as I can. That's not an ego trip. I think that's biblical, not to, not to take care of, of the temple. I've got my, I got my business goals. Develop knowledge, and i got my business goals. I, and here's my personal development. It's just me. This is the fifth area, but my personal development. And so I write down, and if you want to, uh, if you, anybody want to come up and read these through when, when the session's over, you know, just don't steal them and take them. But uh, here's my, so I want to, uh, I'm trying to get better at using my time more wisely. And I have found that if I will script each day, in other words, when I get up and what time do you get up? And then what, and then what, and then what? And then what? And then what? And I script the day. And I don't do anything else. I script that day. I know what's important. And it's based on what's important. What do I, what's important? What do I need to get done? And I script the day to accomplish that. I don't say, well, I'm going to get up this morning. I'm going to start on this. No, no, no. You're going to start on it. And when are you going to get through? When are you going to be through with it? And then what are you going to do? I try to script each day. I just got this, this memory course in. So I want to complete that. Next time I come out here, you'll be amazed at my memory. Another thing, increase my vocabulary. And so I, I learn a verse every week. I try to learn at least a verse. I got a stack of cards. You know, like my memory cards? I got a stack of my vocabulary cards. You know, my 10th grade teacher was Ms. Harper. And every week, every Monday when we came in, she wrote a word on the board. That we, In fact, it was every day. She wrote a new word on the, on the board that we had known the word and the definition and be able to spell it correctly. That's Miss Harper. She's a little short lady, tougher than nails. But she's a little short lady. She'd walk around, but she was, man, she had standards up to here in my English class. And, and so I learned a new vocabulary. And she gave a test the first thing every Monday morning. And she, you wouldn't, she wouldn't tell you the words. You had to remember the five words, spell it correctly, and write out the definition. And then she graded them. And you know what your grade was? Ten or zero. You got them all right or you got nothing. I'm telling you, the woman was tough. <laughs> but, but guess what? I, I have, my vocabulary greatly increased. Guess what? And gang, let me tell you, if you have those tough standards for you, you'll be a better man. If you have those tough standards for your disciples, you'll raise up better people. Just like Miss Harper. I tell you, she was a tough. 
I loved her to death. She was just so much fun. But anyway, those are my personal goals. I, uh, uh, but let me give you see, let me give you something that's just really dear to my heart. I have some cherished ambitions. Something you know that's kind of that that I may not ever get to it, but this I would just love to if 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 I could get. I want to have a a place. Neil and I talked about this. I would like to have a place where other individuals, they can couples or families. They can come and enjoy the place, relax, have fun, eat, and build memories. I had a home in San Diego when we, we lived in San Diego, and I, I, I found this place for sale. We lived in El Cajon. And then we, we found this. I was uh, buying and remodeling houses and putting them back on the market. That was what my, my, my job was. That's what I was doing. And a realtor called me one day and said, Hey, Chuck, I think I found one. And so we went. I went with him. And uh, we were going down toward the beach, driving toward the beach. And uh, we were within probably about a half a mile, maybe three-fourths of a mile. And he turned right. He said, I think it's two or three streets over. So he turned right. And the street that, that this house owned was about the third one. And I said to myself, if he turns left, I'm going to buy it. Because that's toward the beach. If he turns left, I'm going to buy it. And so he gets down and he turns left. And we go house after house after house after. And it's the next to the last one before you get to the beach. I bought that bad boy. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. I bought that bad boy. And then my son and I tore it down. I paid two. And now this is way back when. This was in the uh, probably the late, early 80s. And I paid $272,000 for this little 900 square foot frame house and then tore it down and got a steal. And then I, built, I got an architect. He designed this really beautiful three-bedroom, two-bath home. I got a couple of carpenters, and we built that bad boy. Beautiful home. You walk across the street, you're on the beach. Can you beat that? And so, but then we moved, we got, we job changed, and I moved back to Texas. But I kept that thing. I kept it. And then some of you may have been in it because I let anybody use it that they wanted to free. I had a housemaid that came in and cleaned it up afterwards. I had a guy that mowed a yard every week. My home was sitting a block from the beach, yours whenever you wanted it. I love that. I had missionaries come back and say, and, and, and the, the, they and their family, they just needed some place to light. I said, why don't you take my place? Neil would say, hey, we need, to, we need to get a retreat with our leadership. Can we go to your place? Help yourself. That was, I love that. Do, I, I won't, well, eventually, the politics out here, excuse me, the politics out here got a little crazy. And so I think I need to, I need to get out of California. And so I sold it. And uh, I, that's probably a good idea. But I wish I had that place. And so you know what I'm doing? I'm praying and I'm looking. I want to find a place like that where a family, a, a guy can take his ministry out there, his team, a family can, can you know, a missionary is coming back and he can, he needs a place for a month or, hey, here's a place, it's a beautiful place, don't worry, you just show up. I got somebody to clean it up, I got somebody that takes care of it. You just show up. These jokers coming from Germany, wouldn't that be great? Why don't you guys just spend a week on the, in, in the and just have a great time? Wouldn't that be great? Now, they probably won't ever do that, but anyway. <laughs> But that's what. But that's one of my cherished ambitions. That's. I just. Is that on my goals? I'm going. No. But that's what I want to see God do. And I'm praying for the impossible. I'm praying for the impossible. I like to visit Europe and.
See, I just love to be where great men have done great things. I like to stand in the pulpit where Martin Luther used to preach or Ulrich Zwigli or John Huss or some of these great reformers. I just like to go and, and be there. These great men of God. Anyway, that's a cherished dream. But anyway, at the very bottom, it is my responsibility to, to be the best and to get better. I never rest. I want to be the best I can be and then I want to get better. I help every person I meet to be a better person. I go to bed every night ready for tomorrow. It is irresponsible for me to start any day unfocused, unprepared, uncommitted. When I go to bed at night on my desk is setting what I'm going to do the next morning with number one, and number two, and number three already identified. I hit the ground running. I want to, but I don't want to go to bed unprepared, uncommitted, and unfocused for tomorrow. I want to be ready. I don't want to waste that time getting started. And then I end each day with Psalms 92.4. You know what Psalms 92.4 says? For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hand. Well, what if it was a rotten day? God did it. And I will be glad in what God did. Well, it was that you lost the job. I will be glad in what God has done. And, and I, I pray that that's the last thing I want God to hear out of my mouth before I go to sleep. Now, I get in bed and I hug my wife and uh, don't get the bad idea because, I mean, we're just a couple of old fogies, okay? There's nothing happening, okay? Don't get the bad, don't get the wrong idea. I mean, we're a couple of worn out old rags, okay? But, but I hug my wife. I hug my wife. And I pray, I pray numbers 6, 24 through 27. The Lord bless you. I pray this for my wife every night. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then I pray the next verse. And the Lord said, and, and uh, let's see, oh gosh, 27. But what God says, you have invoked my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. And God says, okay, you know what? You've made me a part. Of the, I, I'm going to bless these people. And so I pray. Sometimes I pray Psalms 31.9. Uh, uh, Psalms 31.19, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you. How great is your goodness. And I'll pray that with my arm around my wife there, and I'll pray, God, I pray that you would be pleased, that it would please you to bless my family with your abundant goodness. Would you bless Amy and her family with your abundant goodness? Would you bless Jennifer and her family? And I pray for her, and Jeff and Susie and their family. And God, would you bless Robbie and I with your abundant goodness, which you have stored up for us. I pray that you do that. And then I say, then by this time, she's probably asleep. My, when my wife, when the head hits the pillow, it's over. <laughs> I mean, I sit there and toss and turn, and, and uh, I don't go to sleep quick. But, but anyway, I lay there, and so the last thing out of my mouth is, and Lord, I thank you for, what, for the day. For you, O Lord, have made me glad about what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hand.
That's, how, that's the last thing I want God to hear from me. I will sing for joy at the works of your hand. I quote that every night. And when I get up every morning, I'm going to share that. I got some things I say when I get up every morning. That's session four. But uh, that's, uh, that's the tyranny of the urgent. That's living with a, that's a steady and purposeful living. And I beg of you, get the time to reflect. And who am I? How has God equipped me? What am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? What has God blessed? Am I on track to become the man that he chose me to be, the woman that he wants me to be? Am I on track? Am I becoming that? And you might need to make some changes. But I want, I, I want to come back in 10 years. <laughs> uh, Neil will be rolling me down the aisle with a, in a wheelchair. <laughs> I'll have my oxygen bottle under my arm here, you know. But, uh, but I want to come back in 10 years and see how great you're doing. I want to come back and see how the person that you have become, the man that you become, the family that you are. I want to come back and see you because you took this to heart and you became the man and the woman that God wants you to be. I'm going to come back and check on you. I love that. So we'll, he'll be wheeling me down the aisle. Yeah, you, what was your name? Okay. So anyway, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, I believe that this is right out of the Bible. This is right out of the book. That you made us special. None of us in here are junk. None of us in here are inadequate or slow or, or dumb or and none of us that way. You made us in your, in your image and you made us. And I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I pray, God, that our thinking would be in line with the truths of your word. But I pray, Lord, that we would take the wraps off of you and the limits off of you and allow you to make of us that which you designed us to be. We beg of you to do this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Spring Break 2022 season of the USC Christian Challenge podcast. Catch up on and review the rest of the sessions right here on all of your favorite podcast platforms and leave us a review if you'd please. Get involved and find out more about us, weekly small groups, and upcoming events like this Spring Break Retreat on Instagram at USC Challenge and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com.